Good morning. Good morning. Well, you guys are dead. Were you guys all at the father-daughter dance too? Someone looked at me this morning like, Pastor, you look tired. And I desperately wanted to tell them, yeah, rough day at the gym. But I was like, no, father-daughter dance. And they're like, oh, did you have fun? I said, yeah, there are no injuries. All the dads survived and all the daughters didn't have sugar-induced coma. So it was lots of fun. And so uh, if you were there, I'm so glad you came. Thankful to all the volunteers that did that. Uh, we're not celebrating that we danced. We're celebrating that men loved their daughters and had fun and show them what it's like uh, to have fun in a good way. Right? Amen? Yeah? Okay. My name's Eric. If you haven't met me, um, we're so glad you're here. I want to welcome uh, our friends and family here, but also online. We'd love to get to know you and answer any questions you might have and connect with you out in the courtyard. Um, just a few uh, items to address uh, today. So you know, at the end of this service, if you have to go, that's okay. Uh, but if you can stay, we're going to pray for Ukraine and what's going on in that situation. We have some guided uh, points of prayer we'll do together. Um, if you have children over in the children's ministry, they know, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, they know we're going to have some extended time of prayer, but you have to go, we understand. Um, then also, if you have thought about or would like to think about going on a missions trip at 1130 in room A103, we're just going to have an informational meeting and see, man, can, can we get people and can we go and love our brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage them in the Lord uh, around the world and just see what God would have. And then uh, last thing next week, we have a, a two-week series uh, it's like reach, reach the nations, and then the next week will be reach Bakersfield. So we like to take a couple weeks every year and just work through what it means to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, as well as in our own backyard. Um, and next week, each, each service time will be a different sermon. So if you can make both, great, we'd love that. If not, make sure you watch the other one online. So here we go. We're finishing up Titus chapter 3. And hopefully um, you've seen this is a short book, but it's a powerful book. And if, if you're like me, I, I feel like the last two years, I don't know what the best way to say it, I just feel like you just got punched in the gut, you know, and just kind of like the life got taken out of you. And it just seems like a lot of people, including myself, just found ourselves caught off guard. Like if we would have known a punch was coming, we would have moved, right? And so what the book of Titus kind of helps us do is just like center your mind and say, this is how you should be at church in, in the world. Um, as an employee, as a citizen, as a husband, as a wife. And here's how you become ready for that moment or until the blessed hope comes. And that's kind of the theme of the book is that Jesus is coming. Be ready. Be ready at church, in your family, in your job, in your citizenship. Be ready and look at that. And so this book's going to close that down and give us some imperatives and encouragement and direction on how to live uh, but my prayer would be, you know, you'd go back and reread this. Look through it. It'd be a forever tool now um, for whatever the, you know, the next thing God has for us. That we'd be able to go to Titus and be like, oh, I remember it talked about that. Oh, I remember it talked about that. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to walk through Titus 3 and just see how God can equip us and help us uh, for what lies ahead. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you, and we praise you um, that you love us, but you also love us so much you communicate with us. You've communicated with us through nature to see your beauty, uh, through Jesus to see your glory, and through your word to give us direction, um, to encourage us, to admonish us, to correct us even sometimes. And it's our prayer that your word would just wrap around our hearts. It would uh, be what echoes in our mind and our emotions. And as we go on each day, that the passages would ring true and affirm and correct as needed. So we just pray your words would be taught and not mine. 
Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we go. Chapter 3, verse 1. He picks it up. He hops in. He's like, hey, remind them. Remind them. So they already know this. This is very important. So remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So there you go. That's kind of the first chunk we'll deal with. And he says it right there in verse one, be ready. Be ready for all things, for every good work. And part of the be ready goes back to the remind. Be ready to be submissive to rulers and authority. And so what he's getting at is, hey, you know what? We need to be good citizens so that we have the ability to witness to them. The Christian should always be the best citizen, the best employee, best father, best wife, best child. Why? Because they have Christ. Because they have the Holy Spirit. They have these riches inherited to them. And that's to enable us that we should be a good representation. And so part of our Christian witness is how we are a citizen, right? So I'm going to read a quote that I felt summarized it well. It says, Cretans, that's, you know, in Crete, this is where Titus takes place, had a reputation for a lack of restraint. Christian witness, personal integrity, and corporate reputation would suffer if believers lived scofflaw lives. The Romans hated nothing worse than cults they deemed seditious. So just to be clear, we're not talking about, you know, uh, vaccines and masks. We're talking about the law, right? When the law is given, it's said when Christians think they're above it. That's why they ask Jesus, do we have to pay taxes? He's like, pay Caesar, what is Caesar's? See, when Christians think that rules don't apply to them, it rubs people the wrong way and they don't respect anything you would have to say. And so if you can wrap your idea around this is that, you know, part of our currency to share with Christians is our character. That we care, you know, what's what the law says. God's instituted rulers and authorities. And I'm going to listen to those rulers and authorities. And to keep in mind, you know, in America, there's maybe some hard laws. But I would say out of the Christians in China, Afghanistan, Iraq, Ukraine, we're going to be okay. Is that fair? If you're not sure, maybe reread some things, okay? What God is telling us to do, there's far greater things that have been asked of Christians in history and currently. Now, is that true? Thank you. Okay. Okay, I'm helping us walk through this because God says, hey, I have a purpose for this. And you need to be a good citizen. And we'll get to the submitting part and what that means later. But the point here is be ready. Be ready to do this. If God calls us, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised there might be some weird laws. There might be weird things happening. Right? So that's part of it. And part of the, the idea is that if Jesus were to come, you wouldn't have to go back and say, I have to tie up what it looks like to be a good citizen, what it looks like to be a good friend, what it looks like to be a good husband, wife, to be a good church member. Those affairs have been ordered. You're ready for every good work. Okay, so one of those relationships is us in, in the world. Another one is, is our relationship with Jesus. Is it ready? 
Here's often what happens is people treat Jesus like their spare tire. So then it goes flat and they're like, oh, run to Jesus and put him on. And so you're in the middle of this crisis and all of a sudden you're just crying out to Jesus, but you don't ever really talk to him because you don't really pray. And so you're trying to process what it's like to actually pray while dealing with an emergency at the same time. That's really tough, isn't it? Because all of a sudden you're trying to build this relationship that doesn't exist. And out of that relationship, you're trying to find comfort and hope and peace, and you're like, it's not really working. It's like talking to a stranger. Because how many strangers do you go to to kind of put you back together? So it's this idea of, are you ready in that relationship? That, that you are praying, you're going to him, and he's correcting behavior. You're, you're going to him in fear, insecurities. So you're, you're used to this, I go to him, I go to him. So then you're in an emergency and you're like, I know what to do. I go to him. It's not foreign to you. You're ready in the relationship. Jesus could come back and you're like, oh, it's Jesus. We've been talking this whole time. And so to be ready for the work is, is you're maintaining the relationship with Jesus, the trust and the follow. And if we'll get into it later, the submitting to, being a part of. The other part is, is the church. Are you ready to work in the church? Because all of a sudden you go through a tragedy and you need help, but there's people you don't know. And they don't know you. And they don't know anything's wrong with you. And then all of a sudden what God gave as a gift to the church becomes this kind of, you know, transactional, distant cousin. And saying to be ready for good work means you know the people that are here. You're coming, hearing the Bible taught. You're all being worked on through the word of God. You're singing to God through the same seasons of life, through tragedy, celebration, hard times, good times, all these things that you're ready, you're serving, you're used for the word of God telling you what to do. So when you are told, you're reading your Bible and it says you need to stop this and do this, you're not like, ah, like, oh yeah. It's kind of like when people start coming to LBC, they're like, wow, you're really direct, a little crazy. And then eventually they're like, oh yeah, they're direct. It's pretty cool, right? You become used to the word of God telling you. Right, so to be ready means you're, you're, you're already doing these things. You're already in a relationship with Jesus constantly. The word of God is working on you. The church is helping you, encouraging you. And then you start working your way down because he says this in the previous chapters. It's in your family. In your family, you've talked about Jesus. In your family, you've talked about what it means to be a Christian. In your family, you've talked about, you know, Jesus comes back. Where would you go? What would you do when you died? You're ready for any good work. Because you're maintaining the relationships you need to maintain. You've, if Jesus were to come back, you'd be like, there's no non-Christians I need to talk to. I've already done it. I'm ready. I'm ready for the work. I've had the conversations. So to be ready, is, it's really, really important. Because this book is, is saying, be ready in light of the blessed hope coming. And if you want to jump down to verse 14, it kind of even gives you an, a bigger context. It says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. It's saying don't get caught up in all this controversy, chaos, and nothingness and emergencies. You're ready to do the work because when needs arise, you're ready. You've been praying. You've been reading. You've been coming to church. You have been preparing for that day maybe 30, 40, 50 years. So when that day comes, you can stand on the word of God faithfully 
and not try to figure out a tragedy, an emergency, how to process it with your emotions, your feelings, your insecurities, plus the word of God. And what does this mean? That's a lot to deal with at once, isn't it? Because it's meant to have already been there. And so anytime I'm I'm preaching, I try to make sure I stand on, on the side that I've seen God work consistently in history and I not just come up with new things. If I come up with new things, I'm in trouble, right? Ecclesiastes tells us, and there's nothing new under the sun. So what have we seen consistently God do? And I came across Martin Luther. If you don't know who that is, he's a big part of what we call the Reformation, that uh, essentially the Catholic Church had taken hold uh, in Europe, and it was teaching that you're saved by works. Uh, you can't pray to Jesus. You have to pray through a priest, or, or you could buy your way to heaven, and so Martin Luther comes across and he's reading his Bible and he realizes, oh my gosh, you know, you are saved by faith, believing. You're saved by grace, free gift. The scriptures alone teach us we're being deceived. So he fervently starts writing and it's called the 95 Thesis, right? He writes all these points. Well, he directly goes in opposition and defies Rome and he finds himself in front of, uh, you know, the Roman emperor Charles V. And based on what he says, he's either going to be condemned for treason or he's going to be set free. And they ask him one simple question. Do you stand by what you've written? This is that moment, that urgent moment. And is he ready? We're going to find out. This is what he says. He says, unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures. I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. See, in that moment, he was ready to stand, die, live, breathe on what he had found in the word of God. He doesn't get there overnight, does he? No, he gets there through faithfully reading and reading and reading and praying and talking so that when that moment comes, he can make that statement. And, and here's, here's, here's my point. I'm not trying to be a prophet or read the tea leaves, but if we can see kind of what's happening around us, there could be a day in our future where we have to make that kind of decision. Is that, is that fair? Are you going to go to church? Are you going to go where the Bible is taught? Are you going to pray in public? Are you going to confess Christ as Lord and only him? Are you going to go what the Bible says about marriage? What the Bible says about Jesus is the only way? What the Bible says about gender? What the Bible says about, you know, fill in the blank. You don't get there overnight. You become ready through the constant relationship with Christ, right? Back into Titus, teaching the trustworthy word as taught, rebuking false teaching, purity of the church, purity of doctrine, so that when that decision comes, you may stand. Okay, so the next part of this, he says, be submissive. So be ready, be submissive. And to be submissive is not about other people. And we get really angry when it says, you know, wives submit to your husbands or, or citizens submit to your leaders or, or employees submit to your bosses. It's because we read things into the text that aren't there. It's not about, hey, there is someone who is smarter than you, better than you, and worth more than you. So now you have to listen to what they say. And it doesn't also say you're not very smart, not very bright, should be in charge of nothing. Therefore, I'm giving you someone to have to be told what to do. Do we see that in the text anywhere? 
Absolutely not. So what's it getting at? God sets up structures and you trust him to lead you through the structures. It's that simple. God places you in a country. He says there's rulers in that country and then they're going to have authority and we need to submit to that authority. You have a boss. Maybe you're the CEO. Board member says, hey, I need you to mop this. You mop it because you were told to mop it. He's the boss. You're the employee. It's like parents. They tell their kids, you do it, you do it because they're the parents. And so you see that submitting relationship in the church. He even talked about that, right? Hebrews 13, 17, to submit to your leaders. They're giving watch over your soul. The church, the leadership says, hey, we're not going to do this. We are going to do this. Word of God says that. We need to change. And so that the Christian is used to having a submitting relationship. And it's not an act of other people deserving it, you not deserving it. It's that Christ deserves it. Because it says a lot about him that we would listen to authorities, that we would listen to bosses, that we would listen to, you know, church leaders, husbands, parents, and say, I trust that God can lead me through this. And here's a summary quote we came across. It says, the ideal is, submitted, is a submitted life that brings glory and honor to God by respecting the order the Creator instituted. Saying, I respect the order that God created. And it has nothing to do with people being smarter, better, worth more, worth less. It's just God created structure and order and we follow it. That's why the Christian's the best citizen. He's used to submitting to the Lord. So he trusts the Lord as a citizen. As an employee, he trusts the Lord. He's used to that. In a marriage, you trust the Lord. As a child, right? You trust. And so to be submissive is huge in showing how much we trust God. Now, there are times you see in the Bible where they don't listen to the government. But when it gets into that, it's when it directly goes against what God's word clearly teaches. You look in Daniel, they're told, don't pray. Like, we're not listening to you. God's our authority. God's our father. We always pray. And if that means death, that means death. The midwives were told to kill babies in the Old Testament. Moses would have been one of them. They said, no, we're not taking lives. Peter's told to stop preaching in Acts. He's like, I will never stop preaching Jesus. They try to capture Paul for preaching Christ. He climbs out the back window, prison escape, right? So we see these examples in the scripture. But what we see is that they're trying to contradict the word of God. Just like if, if, if a wife is being abused by her husband, it is not God's desire for her to be a punching bag. Hear that clearly. That is not what submission means. You are to flee, get safe. Go to your church and let your church help you and do what's necessary to be safe. So it's not submissiveness when it disagrees with God's word. But to the majority, what it's saying is to be a good citizen, to be a good employee, to be a good boss, to be a good spouse, shows that you trust the Lord's structure. I trust you, God, to lead me through sinners. That's what it really comes down to. Government's going to be a sinner. Your spouse is going to be a sinner. Your boss is going to be a sinner. Your kids are going to be sinners. And God says, trust me through this process. Trust that I love you. I will lead you and I will take care of you. Okay? So as we lead into our next part, so he says, be submissive in these relationships. Be ready for every good work. And then here's going to come your very, very favorite part of the text. You guys ready? Okay. So in verse, sorry, I got to find my place here. Verse two, show perfect courtesy toward all people. 
That's a tough one, isn't it? I'll give you guys a hint. The word all in Greek means all. Everyone. Right? There's no one you get to dismiss. There's no one, no exception. There's no health, state, official, governor, president, school teacher, spouse. There's no exception. Be courteous to all people. And then that follows on the tales of being submissive. So what am I really getting at? What should I say? What is the text really getting at? It's not saying that you can't disagree. It's saying when you disagree, be courteous. So if some worker person runs up to you and tells you to put a mask on, it doesn't mean you can't disagree, but it means you don't bite their head off, call them names, and belittle them. We can be courteous. Is that, is that fair? It's what, the, it's what the text is getting at. Be courteous to all people. You're a Christian. You're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. You've been, it's going to get further down. You've been washed. You've been regenerated. You've been renewed. All of these things. And even if you find yourself talking to a person who actually can change the law, you can disagree, but be courteous. Be kind. Well, why would we do that? Let the text explain it. Okay? So, be perfect courtesy toward all people, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. Saying, look, remember who you once were. And if we remember who we once were, we, it will help us then be courteous, which really means gentle, kind, patient towards all people. Because there's this moment of, of, oh yeah, I didn't deserve the love of God. That's why this passage is so clear. It's like, look, verse 5, not because of works done by us in righteousness. God didn't look down on us and go, oh wow, they're special and they're special. They're bad. They're mean. I'll take all the ones who work really hard and are special. God looked down and read Genesis 6, right? It says that the, the, the hearts and thoughts of man were continu- continuously evil. Ephesians 2, God looks down and goes, dead in sin, children of wrath. And God says, you know what? I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to send my son to pay for you. He's going to wash you. He's going to clean you. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to pay for your sin. He's going to make you right with me. You're going to become my child. You're going to live in heaven. You're going to be given the church. And you're going to have a relationship with me forever. He says, you need to remember that when you talk to people. You're not courteous because you're better than them. You're not courteous because you're earning God's love. You're courteous because that's how Christ was towards us first. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? Absolutely. So this is what it means to be ready, is that you're able to be courteous to all people. Now, that doesn't mean, again, the text has told us, you know what? You rebuke false teaching. You silence the person who's causing dissension in your church, the person who's causing factions and camps. You silence them so they don't upset families. And down here, it's going to tell us to to walk away from people who are causing harm in the church. So it's not that we can't disagree. It's how we disagree. It's not that you can't open your mouth. It's how you open your mouth and what you say when you open your mouth and how you say it when you say it. Is that fair? So it's coming right out. we got to be courteous to all people. Why? Because that person might not know Jesus. And the last thing we would ever want would be for our attitude 
to hinder their ability to hear the gospel. Is that true? Absolutely. And so what you're going to see he's getting at, to be ready means that your character is in a place to be your currency to share Christ with Christians who need it because remind them, right? They're the Christian, remind them, but also the non-Christian who doesn't know. And that's going to give us the ability to do that, that we're ready, we are courteous, and we are submissive. We do what the Lord calls us to do. Now, as he works his way through that, we'll, we'll pick it up in five, right? So this is, we'll pick it up in four. So be courteous. Why? Because, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Be courteous. Not because of the works done by us, but his righteousness. Because of his mercy, right? So him withholding punishment. He washed us. He regenerated us. He renewed us. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He poured out richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we might be paid for, justified by grace, freely, free gift, that we might become heirs, a part of the family, according to the hope of eternal life. This is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful. Now, here's the point, the next point, to devote themselves to good work. He says, you need to be devoted to these things. You need to be devoted to doing the things I'm telling you to do. To be submissive. To be ready for every good work. To have loving kindness. To be forgiving. Have a relationship with Jesus. Teach the trustworthy word as taught. Disciple the older, and the, or the older disciples, the younger. So then you need to be devoted to these things. It's excellent and it's profitable. But also be devoted to avoiding foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. They're saying, you know what? If you're going to be ready, it means you don't fight about things that don't ultimately matter. They get in the way of Jesus. They get in the way of people knowing the hope of eternal life in this passage. Now, I want to isolate a part here so you realize I'm not making it up. And when you write me your mean email, I want you to cite this verse, okay? So, in verse 9, it says, to avoid, right, quarrels about the law. That's funny, isn't it? Like, it's right there. Like, I don't even have to, like, interpret it. It's just there. God's like, that's not healthy. What are you doing? And quarreling means fighting, anger. It doesn't mean you can't disagree. It doesn't mean that you can't go toe-to-toe. But what it does mean in a quarrel, that's a hint of anger, rage. You don't care about the other person. You want harm for the other person. Look at the other words attached to quarreling. Dissension, foolishness, controversy. You say, don't do that then you're not ready to do good work. Well, why do you need to be ready to go do good work? Well, verse 14, because there's urgent needs and you need to be fruitful. So you need to be ready and you need to be courteous and you need to be reminded of what Christ did for you so that you can now be around other people and treat them in a manner that helps them love Jesus. He says, do not, do not be a part of dissensions and quarrels that lead to nothing. So maybe a question asks, what am I trying to accomplish? What am I changing? You blast somebody. Did the law change? Do you feel better about it? More people love Jesus now? 
It's a fair question, isn't it? That's why the Bible says avoid it. Doesn't mean you can't disagree with it. Doesn't mean you can't oppose it. But how far are you going to push that? To what end? Probably to the end it starts to affect your feelings, your, your ability to have joy, your, your ability to be courteous. You know? If you can just have a conversation and then still hug them or, or love them towards Jesus or share them, that's good. But if it turns into dissension and quarreling and anger, it says it's unprofitable and worthless. For a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. Bible said that, not me, right? He's saying, don't be around those kind of people. There's people that like to stir up trouble, stir up controversy, take you away from being devoted to Jesus. Take you away from remembering that he loved you, died for you, washed you, paid for you. It's given you the Holy Spirit. It's given you heaven. It's given you eternal life. given you a father to pray to. He's done all these things. When you get caught up in the controversy and the quarreling and the dissension, it takes you away from the devotion. That's why the Bible says you have to address this. That's why earlier on in chapters 1 and 2, it says silence them. Rebuke them sharply. They're upsetting families. Do not let the church be grown into camps and divisions and torn apart. It's unhealthy. It's not good. That's why it says silence them, warn them once, warn them twice. See, what happens when you let these things grow is it has huge impacts on the church. I, I was at a church when I was a kid, and one of the, the Bible study leaders, he really didn't like the lead pastor. And he started going around and he started telling other people and telling other people. And the elders didn't do anything. They didn't care. And so he just kept going and kept going. 200 people ended up leaving the church. Is that healthy? Is that good? He said, no, you got to warn that person. You rebuke that person. You leave that person. Uh, you don't talk about another man's bride, the church. You don't cause dissension. You see, in the church, we, we get too attached to or devoted to programs and, and, and secondary things so we'll let the doctrine of God change. We'll let the institution of marriage change. We'll let gender change. But don't add anyone to my Bible study. Don't put drums on the stage. Don't let young people in with hats. Don't cancel the, the group I was in when I was, I was pioneers, right? Then it became Awana, and then it became something. All right, don't, don't cancel my program. You can change the word of God all you want. Does that sound right? And so then we start fighting about things that aren't scriptural. The Bible is very clear. You fight for the Bible. You fight for Jesus. You fight for the purity of doctrine. And then you have unity in the other things. And if they cause fights and quarrels, you, you rebuke, you turn away, and then you leave. Because it's foolish, and it's warped, and it's sinful. That's what the passage says, isn't it? That's what it means to be ready. There's a purity in the church over the doctrine of God, and it's ready for the urgent need, and it's ready to not be sinful. It's ready to be fruitful, not unfruitful. And so to align these things that we submit to God's word faithfully, we're practicing that. We're submitting to Jesus faithfully. We're, we're looking at what the elders and pastors have laid out, and we're submitting to that faithfully. We're helping each other out faithfully, ready to do the good work. Because the reality is we do not want to be caught off guard again. 
Do we? Okay, just me then. I'm going to take this to heart. You guys are already ready, and this was meant for me. That's fine. But if you find yourself struggling, Titus is your book. It is your book. It tells you right from the beginning, go back to the trustworthy word as taught. Be ready for Jesus to come back. Have your marriage in order. Have your job in order. Have these things in order and be ready. It'll walk you through what it means to be a faithful Christian, faithful husband, wife, faithful church member, faithful citizen, so that you're ready to give an account. You're ready for Christ to come back. We want to be ready, don't we? Okay, so let's walk through some questions that we can uh, ask ourselves. One, how does your Christian witness affect your ability to evangelize? That's clear in this text is that, hey, there are Cretans, right? They're pagans. And when they become Christians, if they don't change their character and their nature doesn't change, the Romans aren't going to listen to your Christianity. Your character is your currency. And so how do those work together in your life and what do you need to retool so that your witness can be effective, right? Two, what is the most difficult area for you to submit to in your life? And how can you grow in that area? Again, Christian, best citizen, best employee, right? Husband, wife, parent, and it's not because we're better than, it's because we've been given the inheritance, the Holy Spirit. God is the Father. Heaven is the home. We've been given these things richly. That enables us to do things better. And so we should see that in our life. Three, how does your relationship with Jesus directly affect how you treat other people? See, are, are you going through, man, this is who I once was. This is what the text does. This is what Christ has done for me. Oh man, I, I gotta be courteous. If Christ can do that for me, I can be courteous to anybody. But if you're not walking through that rhythm, it's really easy to think I'm smarter than you, I'm better than you, I don't deserve this, you're terrible, I'm not, I'm smarter. Right? Four, what are some quarrels or divisive issues slash people you need to stay clear of? What's somewhere is you know if you go there, it'll pull you. It'll suck your time, your energy, your emotion, and you need to walk away from it because it takes from you being devoted and ready for every good work. You're not able to respond to the urgent needs. You're not able to be fruitful because you're a mess because you're caught up in this controversy. You're caught up in this dissension that's pulling you away. It'd be good to evaluate that and say, man, there's some things I need to pull back from. Right? Five, how can the book of Titus help you be ready for the coming of the blessed hope. Essentially, what God says is the best thing for Christians is to be ready at all times for Jesus to come back. That there would never be a part of us that says, man, I wish I could have talked to that church person and, and taken that back. I wish I would have shared Christ with that person. I wish I wouldn't have done that at work and I, I could have made that right. It's that you would leave and say, it's handled, it's in order, I'm ready. That's where we want to land, amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you for the book of Titus. It shows us how to be ready, how to devote ourselves to every good work, to be mindful of what you've done, how you've loved us, how you've washed us, cleansed us, given us the Holy Spirit, called us your own, uh, allowed us to become heirs. So it's our prayer that we would wrap that around our hearts and that we would devote ourselves to being ready for the good works that you've called us to and prepared for us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, two things as we get to communion. One, remember to take your cup so that you don't leave it. Two, we need to open it in a particular way so that we don't get juice everywhere, okay? 
So you want to get the bread part first, take it off, then turn it over and get the juice. If you do the opposite, the bread, you get the juice, and you try to get the bread, then when you get the bread, the juice goes on you. Okay? You see that? So bread first, juice second. Now, when we come to communion, one of the cool things is that the Word of God says that it doesn't come back void. And so the, the Word of God, what was previously read, expositely taught, should launch us into communion. Okay? It should bring about things that we can, okay, what are areas that I am sinning? I'm sinning against Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. Um, that sin he paid for. That should be a very real moment. And the text should bring up maybe sins that you've done, I've done, we've committed against Christ. Have we become, you know, full of dissension? Are we a part of controversies? Are we unsubmissive? Are we unloving? Are we not courteous? Have we devoted ourselves to things that are bad? And just to walk through that and say, God, those things you brought up, I need to repent, I need to turn, I need to stop. There needs to be a point of mourning, like I can't believe I sinned against you. And then as, as you go through that process, you move and you shift and you go, okay, that sin was paid for. Go back to your text, I've been washed, I've been cleaned, I've been paid for. And then that's the celebration where you're thankful and you're grateful and like these sins you paid for, I mourn. These sins you paid for, I'm clean, thank you. And then you move uh, towards the end of that, John will come back and that's our opportunity to sing, celebrate. I'm forgiven, you're loving, you showed mercy, you gave grace, you, you, you. God, 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 thank you, thank you. That great celebration. And so uh, after I pray, you're gonna have an opportunity to do that at your own pace come through that and then John will lead us. You know, if you don't know Jesus, a good thing to do is just start praying, maybe reread through the passage, look at the words on the screen and say, man, do I believe I've sinned against the Holy God? Do I think there's a price that needs to be accounted for that sin? And if I do, do I want to now take the step to trust Jesus as that payment? We'd love to do that with you later, but we'd ask that you not take the communion. For everyone else, I'm going to pray and then uh, just go at your own, your own pace. Okay, let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you that we get uh, a time to remember you. Matthew 26, that we get to break your body open, uh, that your blood poured out, the symbolic act of the payment of our sins, that we get to remember it in church, take it together, mourn our sin and celebrate our forgiveness. We're thankful that you love us this much and in this way. Pray that we would celebrate the work of Jesus now. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.